0: Last Sunday, we began a new series of sermons titled "Stories That Jesus Told," and we're going to spend at least two months uh, looking at the parables, maybe even three. I haven't decided about January yet. I've got some ideas, but uh, not sure because there's so many good parable stories that Jesus told. I shared how the importance of the parables cannot be overstated. Mark himself told us that Jesus was teaching them many things in parables. In fact, I I shared how these stories Jesus told actually comprised more than a third of his recorded teaching. And teaching them that has, in a way, that has a primary focus on something so important, the kingdom of God. Now, I hope you remember, but if you don't, I'm going to re-emphasize it. The English word parable, uh, the English word parable comes from the Greek word parabole. Sounds a lot like it. But that word is actually a, one of those combined words. Para means along. It's to literally to place, bole, to place alongside. And uh, what we have in the parables are stories that compare one thing to another. Something very familiar that we're used to with a concept about the kingdom of God. Uh, so when we look at the parables of Jesus, they are stories used to compare some aspect of common everyday life with some reality regarding the kingdom of God. Because a parable is a, com- a common form of storytelling that arises out of real life experiences. When Jesus started telling those stories, those people would perk their ears up and say, Oh yeah, I've been there. I've done that. I, I know about that. Because they were real life experiences. And they're meant to evoke a response. And of course, that is by the nature and makeup of parables and the fact that they also sneak up on us. The first parable that we looked at was the parable of the sower. One sower, one seed. But four different responses, and I think based on in the parable, the nature of the soil, the dirt, but I think based on people that Jesus had right there in front of him that he had already encountered, that we saw as we looked at Matthew. I mean, Mark chapters two and three. Whether it was the hardened soil of the path or the thin and rocky soil or the thorny and weedy, uh, weed-invested soil or by chance, the good soil. And as Jesus was starting to tell that parable, He had already told them, now listen up. And when He was done, He said, if you have ears to hear, Listen. I think as Jesus started telling that parable, some of them, when they heard about that hardened path, their minds would have gone to the hardened Pharisees who wouldn't listen to what Jesus was saying with an open mind. Or they'd have thought about the superficial and shallow crowd who was just in it for what they could receive in return. The food, the blessings, the miracles. I think possibly his own family might have had their consciences pricked a little bit when they realized just how much they were caught up in the thorny issue of honor and shame. Worried about whether or not Jesus had lost his mind and therefore was embarrassing them. But then finally we saw the response of a ready and open mind and heart. How even though they were only used to a 10% yield and that was considered good. Why, Jesus was talking about a 30, 60, even 90% yield that could be received if people would be listening attentively with an open mind and an open heart. Um, Now my question as I concluded last week was... How can we prepare ourselves to be fertile soil for the seed of God's Word? You see, let me me share this, and I, I don't have this in my notes. One of my thoughts this week was, I wonder how much we even tend to go through the motions. I was reading one of my morning devotionals, and it talked about the writer and the writing of what we just sang a little bit ago, the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. I mean, do we really stop to think about what we're singing in these songs sometimes? The thankfulness that is there. And I think that when we realize that the invitation to be a part of the kingdom of God is still offered... It should change our attitudes by how receptive we're going to be. But here's the sad truth human nature being what it is, in every audience, there are those who are like the trampled, hardened soil. Well, that's not what we've been told before. I'm not going to listen to that. We've never done it like that before. We're not going to start now. Hardened. Or the thin, shallow soil. You, well, you probably can. But I'm sure you're just as saddened when I tell you that there are many times people call into this congregation, this church, wanting and needing help, but as soon as they find out They have to do something to get that help, that it's not just going to come to them. We don't hear from them. I had somebody who was talking about uh, some community service they had to do to satisfy the courts, and I said, yeah, I'll be glad to work with you. Uh, I've been a liaison with the courts and the pro and that's actually where it came from it came out of the Watsika court system because Heather uh, is one of the probation and pro officers over there and she knows I'm a retired police officer and I'll work with them and uh, I said yeah we'll be glad to work with you and I said you know I'm sure that, that our person who does our cleanup work can have some extra jobs for you to do I couldn't just come in and pick up paper or something like that? Well, we don't have any paper just to pick up. No, we'd have some jobs for you to do for your community service. Oh, okay. Well, I'll call you back. Never hear from them. And it's nothing new. My dad, I remember one time that I was in the office talking to my dad and my dad, some people came in and my dad said, come on in. So I think sit right out there for a minute. So I did and And uh, people went in, and I could overhear. They were wanting uh, some help with groceries and some gasoline. Dad said, you know, that's no problem. It's Monday morning. If you all will go out in the auditorium, and in this case, that's all he said to do, just pick up bulletins or things that are laying around, put songbooks back in in the back of the pews. While you're doing that, I'll get some things together for you. Oh, we can't work. He said, Well, I'm sorry, and out the door they went. Sometimes we are just like that thin and shallow soil. As long as there's something coming, oh, yeah, maybe we will. Sometimes we're like the weed invested thorny soil. We got so many things going on, so many cares. Uh, you won't believe. You won't believe how many things that are going on even just through our school systems that our kids are asked to be a part of and, and multiple organizations to the point that they have very little time and, and it gets impressed that, oh, well, this is a priority. This is a priority to the point that it's hard to even try to schedule activities here at the church. So what's the difference? How can we prepare ourselves to be that fertile, good soil in which things will grow? And I think it's possible that one of the ways that we can do it is by being involved in what are called spiritual disciplines. Paul himself says, you know, physical discipline is good for your body. But then he goes on to talk about things that we can do for our spirit. Praying. I'm not just talking about just stopping before you eat to say a prayer. I'm talking about having designated times with a reminder to stop and pray. I didn't used to do it. I kind of put it off as, well, that's an Old Testament thing. You know, the horns will blow. It's prayer time. And then, I started with just one. 603. That's the area code for the church out there where Eric is, Movement Christian Church. And I found myself with that reminder on my phone stopping, thinking about them, praying about them. And so I added 219 for us in our area. Then I thought, well, Why not 815 and pray for Watsika and Eroquois County in the camp? And now I've added 413, which is Springfield, Massachusetts, because some people that we met, Jason and Bonnie Hamm, moved this last week on Thursday to Springfield, Mass, and they are working to plant a new church in Springfield, Massachusetts. Four different times a day, my phone goes off with a reminder to Pray. And it has been a blessing to me. I'm sure that God is doing his blessings in those four areas. But it's blessed me stopping to do that. Each morning, my wife comes over to the church at some point during the morning, sometimes in the afternoon. But each day, she and I, through the work, Monday to Friday, pause to read a section of scripture. We're reading the one that I gave to you as the all-church reading plan, staying with that on a regular basis. And then I've got some other devotionals that I read. Ways to help my mind, my heart, be fertile, open ground that God can use and work with. This Thursday, November the 25th, we celebrate Thanksgiving Day a national holiday in the United States. Now many people believe that the holiday dates back to 1621 when the Plymouth colonists and the Wampanoag uh, Indians shared an Autumn Harvest Festival. Actually, it was more than Two centuries later, days of, well, actually for more than two centuries now, days of Thanksgiving have been celebrated, but it wasn't until 1863, a couple hundred years later, uh, that in the midst of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed Thanksgiving Day to be held each November. And in many households... The Thanksgiving celebration uh, often looks something like this. Now, I picked out this per- picture for a, per- a reason. There's several that I could have picked. But I picked this one out because I noticed that they were good enough to have Brussels sprouts. <laughs> you gotta bring your own Brussels sprouts. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, I pretended and imagined that those little dark months right there in the dressing were oysters. And they were lucky enough to have oyster dressing. Uh, But you know, I think Thanksgiving celebration has lost a lot of its original significance. I I think actually um, it could be a national day for gluttony, for gluttons. Uh, because even the turkey, uh, a, a staple uh, for many meals, uh, that's, uh, one that's been become synonymous with a holiday. I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of cartoons this week. One was a turkey reading the obituaries and reading them to his wife and, and saying, "Man." This happens every year at this time of the year. So many of our friends and family dying. <laughs> or you'll see a, a, a turkey wearing a, 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 a Plymouth type hat, you know, dressed up like a pilgrim. Uh, and, and you know, it, it may, but probably wasn't even a part of the offer of food that day back then. But here's what saddens me. In the words of a 19th century economist by the name of Henry George, Henry George said that man is the only animal whose desires increase as they are fed. The only animal that is never satisfied. You know, they were right according to their day, but also to our day as well. Many this morning will remember the mantra that was sung by the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. When I'm driving in my car, when a man comes on the radio and he's telling me more and more about some useless information supposed to fire my imagination, I can't get no, 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 hey, hey, hey. That's what I say. I can't get no satisfaction. And it's not because we don't try. Because they continue singing. Because I try and I try and I try and I try. We are never satisfied. And the more we're fed, the more we are saturated with the materialistic advertising of our day, the more our desires increase. But this isn't anything new. The parable that we're going to look at today is appropriate as we prepare for Thanksgiving Day, which has often been the official beginning of the Christmas season. I I remember so anxious for the parade to end, not because I didn't like the parade. But the last float in the parade when I was growing up was always Santa Claus. I remember driving to Indianapolis and watching the parade in Indianapolis and waiting anxiously as all those bands and pretty floats went by for that last float that was going to have Santa Claus on it. And you didn't see anything about Christmas until then. But then all of a sudden, it was Christmas season. The parable that we're looking at today jumps right on the issues of being satisfied and being thankful. It's a story about a rich fool, and I've t- I titled my message Satisfaction and Thanksgiving. And our text is found in the 12th chapter of Luke. The parable is actually introduced by the account of a man in the audience who wasn't really listening to what Jesus was saying. His mind was elsewhere, because he was actually deeply disturbed about his inheritance. And so the young man calls out to Jesus from the audience, Luke tells us, asking Jesus, as a recognized teacher of the people, to be the arbiter in dividing his family's inheritance. It's quite possibly that this was the younger son. And he was incensed by the fact that the elder brother was going to receive a double portion. And though that was stipulated in the law, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17, the oldest son got a double portion because he was expected to take care of mom and dad or whoever passed first to take care of the other one and the land. This younger son probably didn't think it was right. That's just not just. And this Jesus guy, he's been talking and teaching a lot about Jesus. I'll just see what he thinks. I'll get him in here to to help us settle this. Jesus, if you'll notice, declined his urgent appeal. And he went on to teach by means of a parable. A lesson. A lesson regarding covetousness. Now, I think it's reasonable to conclude that the lesson was the answer to the young man's actual need. The deeper problem was not help to gain a bigger inheritance, but to overcome selfishness and materialism. In fact... The warning that Jesus gives in verse 15, just before telling the parable, is that we cannot calculate the worth of a person by adding up their things that he or she may own. And yet, that's a part of the warp and the woof of our everyday society, isn't it? So here's the story Jesus told. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination at all to see in this parable a call to adjust our priorities. The parable Jesus told for the man's sake and everyone else who would listen was what has been referred to as the parable of the rich fool. And notice again how Jesus began the parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, it's pretty obvious, I think, that the man was a farmer. He was involved in agriculture. But but I think he represents all human beings who are seduced by all kinds of greed, regardless of our position in life or even our vocation. Some of the stingiest, greediest people I have known have been dirt poor, not just filthy rich. They're on both ends of the spectrum and all the way through the middle. Now it appears that the man had come by his wealth honestly. So that eliminates a lot of the defenses uh, and excuses that we might raise. It's not that he got it wrongly, and that's why God is doing this. He probably even believed that God had blessed him materially. Just the right amount of rain and sun, no disease or pestilence, huge fields. I mean, that was a common belief during those times. Remember when the people came, four friends came to Job? And Job had suffered great calamity. Why, Job, something must be wrong with your relationship with God because if you had a right relationship with God, He'd be blessing you. That was a common belief. And actually... Isn't it a common belief among television evangelists and those who cater to them? I've heard Joel Osteen many times with a big smile on his face saying, You can have all of that. And I've heard others. I heard one man one time, I almost cried. I heard one man on TV point to the camera. This was years ago. And because and, it was a black and white TV at my mom and dad's house. I was young. Point and say, You! And look right into the camera wherever he was. He'd say, You, come up here. And he put his hand on the, the camera so that it looked like his hand was touching your TV screen. And he said, Here, touch my hand and God will bless you. And then God will continue to bless you as you give to our ministry. You know, that man probably was a success in everyone's eyes. New respect would have come his way. But he, like some of us, he was in danger. His life was about to be cut short. You see, he had a false sense of security. It was prompted by his financial success, but he fell prey to some pretty foolish reasoning. We might be prone to overlook the very first statement of Jesus. Jesus says, He thought to Himself. Let that sink in. I think Jesus was trying to warn us, without being blunt about it, that a lot of the problems that we encounter, a lot of the struggles we have in life, begin with a failure to consider how we might respond in community, with the counsel of friends. It's a wisdom found in Proverbs Chapter 15, verse 21 and 22. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. Without counsel, plans fail. Listen, but with many advisors, they succeed. This man, Jesus said, thought to himself. And notice again the focus on self and the way The man continues, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build. Twelve times in just a few verses, the man uses a personal pronoun referring to himself. Now, building the barns might have been logical and prudent. It might have been a good idea. But notice what's missing. What's missing is that there was no thought of sharing, no thought of stewardship. Nowhere in the parable does it say, well, you know, after I give my tithe, because that's where it should start. No thought for the poor, for those who were sick or those who were lacking clothing that would have been all around him. He was completely self-absorbed. And that's why he reached the fateful conclusion. Soul, he's again talking to himself. Why well, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be married. Married, not married. I don't know if you realize it or maybe if you've even done a, a search. But this is the only place in the Bible where Retirement of some form is spoken of. And it seems to be in a context of disapproval. Now, before you jump to any conclusions or some kind of an attitude, yes, the Bible recognizes the aging process and slowing down. But not to a life of self-indulgence. An attitude that doesn't find favor with God anywhere in the scriptures. This man needed to reestablish, to adjust his priorities. The problem with his self-proclaimed retirement package was that it, it was a ticket to hedonism. In Scripture, and you can go to 1 Corinthians 15, Ecclesiastes 8, Isaiah 22, in Scripture the phrase, eat, drink, and be married is a description of dissipation. A retirement that lives for self is not only unbiblical, it's immoral. Now, laying his self-interest aside for a moment, the glaring fault of this foolish man was that he was living as if there was no God. Remember what James says? Some of you will say, why, this year I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Go here, go there. Go there. And then James says you ought to be saying if God wills, I'll do those things. When the psalmist says the fool says in his heart there is no God, it's not a statement in favor of atheism. It's a statement of disregard. A statement of rebellion. Of refusing to be obedient to a God that might have demands that He places on people. The word is actually a word that relates with being amoral, not atheistic. The problem with the rich man was that he had no fear of God. The, and you know, it's interesting because that comes up at the beginning of this chapter. If you go back to, to this chapter 12, verses 4 and 5... Jesus begins the chapter by saying, I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who can kill the body and then after that have nothing they can do. But I warn you to fear. Whom to fear? Fear Him who after He's killed the body has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear Him. We are to have an awe of fear. Not in the sense of being afraid of God but a fear of respecting God. And since the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom, according to Proverbs, this rich man, he was unequipped for living. Do you see how the rich man is a parable for us today in the modern world? Most people today don't like to think, and they especially don't like to think about what is really the right thing to do. Our priorities need to be radically adjusted. Notice that in Jesus' story, it's God who said to the man, Fool, this night your soul's required of you. And then asked the question, So, now who's going to become the owner of all your things? You see, he was a fool because life is short. And as sensible people, we should be choosing what's best for the long run. The man was a fool because he didn't reckon reckon with how fragile life really is. And I've come to know that more in the last decade of my life than I ever did. I used to think, "Oh, I'm strong, I'm tough, I can can do this, I'm not ever going to die. And then all of a sudden, people who were strong and healthy around me started dying. Some were sick. But others, an accident. A young man and his wife who had just gotten married, who had turned everything around and they were working and serving the Lord and active in the church. And they found out about a baby that was going to be raised Uh, without both parents, and they made the offer, and, and they were able to adopt that little baby, and things were going so well, and a motorcycle came over a ramp, the rider fell off, and the motorcycle crushed him, and he died before he could get to the hospital. And you see, it's understandable maybe when you're a child or when you're 30 or 50 or 70, but if we live as if there's not going to be an end and it couldn't come tomorrow, we're a fool. Maybe rich in the things of the world, but as Jesus says, not rich toward God. The story is finished, but not the need of teaching. And so Jesus continues speaking to his disciples. And what we have in verses 22 to 34 is a private session in which Jesus calls, he issues a call to his disciples to wake up and reconsider our situations. And I'm not going to read all of these verses, but notice 24, 22 to 24. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Now, I'm sure the young man who interrupted Jesus sounded anxious as he was seeking help. And so Jesus begins His story with a parable. I mean, with, a, with His parable with a command. It's an imperative. Don't be anxious. There's more to life than things. And He ties what He's saying back to the parable. I got a call a couple of weeks ago. From somebody I love dearly. Somebody who has gone through a divorce and remarriage. Very active in the church where he goes and serves. And he was concerned about the scriptural teaching about divorce and remarriage and how that might apply or not apply to the leadership. And So I shared with him and talked with him about that. But then he said something else. He said, Would you pray for me and his voice broke and he started crying. He said, I'm having some medical issues. And he explained those to me. And part of the problem is is he didn't do what he should have done ten years ago when he had a warning and he didn't do anything about it. And in that moment, in his tears, in his crying, he said, I am afraid of dying. I didn't say to him what I thought. Because his fear of death, his fear of dying, is a much more significant spiritual problem than whether or not he had been divorced and remarried. We're not to be anxious. The ravens who are fed and clothed, they don't have storehouses and barns like the rich man was considering in order to hoard his abundant crop, and yet God takes care of them. And He even shows how we should be reconsidering our situations in verses 29 and 31. Do not be worried. The world, all the nations, seek these things. Instead, you and I should be seeking His kingdom and the things that we need will be taken care of. Instead, that is an important word in this section. Because when we truly consider the way our society values possessions and how we tend to get caught up in the same desires that of course we label needs, with this parable and teaching, Jesus is calling for us to realize that that's a dead-end street. Wake up! Instead of being anxious and worrying about material possessions, Instead, it's a logical contrastive jun- conjunction in the Greek. Instead of getting caught up in the, all of that, this thanksgiving, but seek his kingdom. Cuz if we do what Jesus says, he says these things will be added to you. But the starting point is reconsidering our situations. It has to do with priorities. And that's how he concludes the parable. Verse 21, to the rich man, fool, this night your soul is required of you. We have no guarantee that this isn't going to be our last day. So what are you investing in? And he concludes the parable to his disciples in, to their teaching in verse 34 with a reminder. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, by way of conclusion this morning, on this Sunday morning before Thanksgiving Day, are you anxious? Are you anxious regarding your daily needs? Are you struggling with anxiety? Or are you satisfied? For what are you thankful? I don't know if you noticed it, but twice during His instructions to His disciples, Jesus used the phrase, How much more? When talking about how God feeds the birds, Jesus asked a rhetorical question of how much more value are you than the birds? He didn't want an answer. The answer is obvious. We are so much of so much more value to, than the birds. And again, in addressing the issue of clothing, Jesus reminds them, if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow's thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? And it's a question regarding our faith. <coughs> Our faith. How much we really believe. Because to those who are worried and anxious, He laments, Oh, you of little faith. How much more? How much more then will He provide for those of us if we are truly disciples thereby making the weakness of our faith unjustifiable. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you on this one more time that we pause to say thank thank you. And Father, my prayer is is that in this week to come, those families that meet together will take a moment to just raise the issue It's been a tough two years. What can we be thankful for? What can we say thank you to God for as we pause? Help us, Father, to think about how you have provided for us in so many more ways and in such a greater way than you have for the animals, for the earth even, Help us to be satisfied and thankful. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.